Last week we called all of our college students who were here up and gave them a little finals week boost and today I get to see some of our college students who have been away. They get to come home for the holidays. It's so good to see all of you and welcome back home. We miss you. Glad you're here today. Today I want to talk to you for a few minutes about a title. The title of my message is A, a Tiny Gift, Strangely Wrapped. A Tiny Gift, Strangely Wrapped. As most of you that know me know, I hate the mall. I hate shopping. Um, my wife sees the worst of me when I have to go to the mall. She calls it I have to protect her. Uh, <laughs> So generally, if I can get one trip a year and do it as quickly as possible, I'm perfectly fine with that. And some of you are nodding your heads and some of you are going, I don't understand you. I just, we're all different. (laughs) When I was at the mall for the few minutes that I was there, one thing I heard again and again is, is people are having conversations as you hear a lot about gifts trying to find the right gift, trying to get the right gift and the right price. And, you know, I thought maybe that we would hear around the Christmas season the word joy or carol or tree or, or food. Food's a good word around, around the holidays, but it was the word gift. And you can hear it in conversations and you see it on people's lips and people are thinking about that. And uh, we have lists and uh, there was... Uh, One individual that I had overheard that said that their child gives them a list early in the season and it's it's typed and it's single-spaced. And the top half of the list are things that if you really love me, you'll get me. And, And the bottom half of that list are things that regardless of if you love me or not, I expect. And so I don't know if you have kids or grandkids or spouses that, that give you similar lists, but uh, it's, it's always an interesting time of the year. And we are at a gift-giving season, and as a result of that, I'd like you to take your Bible if you have them, and if you don't, we'll put the verse up. But it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, which is a verse that is not typically found in a Christmas story, but I believe is is a Christmas verse that probably should be found on every Christmas card and nativity scene that we have, but it simply states this, 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God. That's a good Christmas message right there. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Father, as we approach Your Word this morning we recognize that there's a depth and a meaning to your word that we just can't capture unless we have the aid of your Holy Spirit who just begins to make the words jump off the page and come alive to our hearts. And so, Lord, we ask for that anointing today. We know that we are approaching a Christmas season that we can... We can begin to classify it as I've heard that before. We hear Christmas messages every year and and it can become a little mundane and we can grow numb to it. But Father, would would you allow our spirit to be so sensitive that even though it may be a message we've heard before, that there would be something new that would just capture our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul was writing a second letter to the church at Corinth. And if 
you know anything about him, you would recognize that he was a learned man, brilliant in the way that he was trained under Gamaliel the rabbi. He was known as Saul of Tarsus. He would have been highly respected. He would have been somebody that we would have considered in our day and age to be a real thinker. He had a, an academic and an educational side to him that would have captured us in the way that he spoke. There's no doubt that Paul was an articulate man that had a vast vocabulary. I love speaking to people who, after I talk to them, I have to go look their words up. Because we are learning from people like that. Paul was a master of the Greek language. He was more than a capable communicator. And so we look and we recognize in the New Testament that there are more of his writings appear than anyone else. And he might have been considered the primary theologian not only of his day, but even to ours today. In fact, there may have been nobody that knew more about God other than Jesus Christ himself. And yet when he was writing this letter, he gets to this verse... And he begins to come to a place where he's thinking about the gift that God had given. Thanks be to God for this gift. And, and he begins to try to find the right word to use to describe this gift that God has given to us. And under the anointing of the Spirit, there's this moment of pause as, as he's working through this vocabulary in his mind, trying to find just the right word that would give this verse the oomph that it needs so that those who were in the church at Corinth when they read this would understand the depth of what he was trying to say. And after thinking for a moment, all he could come up with is there really is no word to describe the gift. So he coins a phrase, he uses a word that's found no other place in the New Testament. He makes up a word. And he says, this gift is indescribable. An indescribable gift. So why is this indescribable? Why is this gift too awesome to even be put into words by somebody who had a great vocabulary of words to choose from, yet nothing that he knew was capable of encapsulating this gift in a word. Well, as we begin to read in Luke chapter 2, verse 6, Luke the doctor describes things in this verse very much as a doctor would as if, if he was writing out a report. And he says this, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And you picture this in your mind, this very young lady, probably a teenager who has just given birth and completely unprepared, she takes whatever cloth she has and roughly it's not a velvet blanket and it probably wasn't blue and it, it was something that she just had just to give a little protection as she places this newborn infant in straw that she knew was going to have very prickly edges to it and she wanted to protect the skin to the best of the ability that she could of this new infant. And she wraps him in whatever cloth she has and lays them in this manger. And standing right outside that barn door was a very bewildered man. He had had nothing to do with the conception. 
At that moment, he was married to a woman that had just given birth to a baby that he hadn't even known intimately yet. And I'm convinced that Joseph probably was still working to put everything together that was taking place. He knew that he was there simply because he had believed the words of an angel that everything that had happened to her was from God. And so he stands there and in this bewildered state just simply says, I just believe the angel and I believe God and I don't understand it all. He probably was feeling also very helpless and that there was nothing that he could do as he watches her. And the scripture says she took Jesus and she wraps him. Now I think a lot about rapping about this time of the year. And I don't know what your families are like, but maybe you're the kind that you buy a gift and as soon as you get home, you wrap it and you do your very best. Or maybe you're the kind of family that you buy gifts and you stuff them in closets all year long. And suddenly after the Christmas Eve service is over this year, you're going to run home and at about midnight recognize, oh no, we didn't wrap the gifts. Any of you know what I'm talking about? few of you. How many of you are really pre-planners? You don't belong here. <laughs> this is what a gift looks like that's wrapped at one o'clock in the morning when you don't care if they know what it is or not. <laughs> this is what happens when you give a man a woman's job. You say, hey, there is very little intrigue and surprise in this. How many of you know what this is? Bat. Shortly after that, you've run out of this paper and you have this left. And you just don't care that there's no surprise. This is a globe. At least it has a bow on it. That expresses the depth of love. This is what happens when a man wraps a lady's gift. But you don't know what brand it is, nor do you know the color. It's all about the wrapping. And then, how many of you have things set up in your office where there's secret Santas or there's gifts and you know that you can't spend more than $15, $25 on a gift and everybody brings them and they put the gifts out on a table and everybody draws numbers and if you're number one, you get your first choice of the gifts of the table and if you're last, then you get whatever is left over at the end. Maybe you have a group of people that you work with that you enter into this kind of a game where if somebody takes the gift that you want and you have a later number that you can exchange what's left, you can come up and you, before they open it, you get to switch with them. Have any of you ever seen that or ever played those games before? Good. So, if you're number one and there are two gifts on the table that look something like this, one with duct tape, I don't know why you're laughing like that. <laughs> and one that looks rather elegant. Chances are, how many of you would choose the 
more elegantly wrapped gift. You know you're not going to get to keep it. Because when you get to the end of the list and the only thing that is left is this very poorly wrapped and ugly gift wrap. How many of you also know that you can't necessarily judge a gift by the wrapping? How many of you are sneaky wrappers? I don't even have to describe it and you know you are. That you would be willing to put something very small in a very large box. That the greatest joy that you have is the look of surprise on people's faces when they discover that you went to way more effort wrapping their gift than buying their gift. (laughs) The Bible tells us that We have an indescribable gift that has been given, and I want to talk for just a few minutes about the wrapping, how this gift was wrapped. If you have your bulletin, there's an outline there. But this baby that God sent to earth, first of all, was wrapped in prophecy. Wrapped in prophecy. How do you wrap an indescribable gift? What material do you use to know that regardless of how well you wrap it, that the gift itself is going to be more valuable and more indescribable than the best wrapping available? We were given a gift of a physical body and she, her, his mother, wrapped him in a cloth that she came prepared with. And I suggest to you that the gift of Jesus was wrapped very strangely in comparison to the value that he instantly became to the world when he arrived. That the cloth that he was wrapped in would look something more like this than the value of something that is finely wrapped and yet In the prophecy in which he was wrapped, there was going to be nothing that could wrap him that would indicate the value of the gift that was given. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, we begin to see some of the prophecy that Jesus was wrapped in hundreds of years before his arrival when it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us, prophesied hundreds of years before he came. You wrap something indescribable in something as powerful as prophecy. And then you have people anticipating his arrival. You move farther on in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and it says to us, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, And the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The prophecy which with he was proclaimed hundreds of years before his arrival began to be one of the wrappings in which Jesus was given. As we look at this prophecy, we understand that a Messiah is being prophesied to come to us. And further on within the prophecies of Jesus gets a little bit more descriptive in what we might be looking for. As we read in Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 5. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. 
The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Or decide by what he hears with his ears. But righteousness, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and, his, and the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness the sash around his waist. And so suddenly the, gaff, the, the, the wrapping of the gift becomes a little bit more clear in what the people should look for as the prophesied Messiah is anticipated. You can move to Isaiah chapter 53, and I won't read all of the prophecies, but I do want to read this one in verses 1 through 3. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, he being Jesus being prophesied, grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah is at a loss of words as he's beginning to bring forth a prophetic word of what it would be like when Jesus is, is comes. And he says, how do we describe one so that the people will be waiting on tiptoes with anticipation when the prof- prophesied Messiah will come to earth? How can we do this? Because what we know, as God says, is that he will be nothing spectacular to look at. He will grow as a root in a dry land. There will be nothing that would announce how great he is. We won't even recognize him when he comes. All we know is that how do you wrap an indescribable gift? You wrap him in the kind of prophecy that would lead people who are in times of need to recognize, I'm looking for a Messiah. I'm looking for one that is coming that will change everything within my life. Can you imagine an old rabbi, long beard, wrinkles on his face from years of studying and life experience as he He's thumbing through the manuscripts that we consider Old Testament. And he he comes and he gets to Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And as he looks at that, he sees, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from and old from ancient times. And as he begins to rub his old beard... He puts some pieces together and he goes, oh, this prophesied Messiah will come from Bethlehem. And suddenly the prophecies of the Old Testament begin to come together. And how do you wrap an indescribable gift? You wrap him in prophecy, first of all. How else do you wrap an indescribable gift? Well, you wrap him in history. In Galatians chapter 4, We recognize that prophecy being what it is has got to be able to be woven into history. There has to be conditions that come together. 
And that was God's job to be able to, to weave a history together and to weave prophecy together so that at just the right moment, at just the right time, God could strike and send and everything would be set up for the perfection of his indescribable gift. And as we look at the history of the birth of Jesus, we begin to see how history was woven together in dovetails right into prophecy. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem or to buy back those under the law. Now, depending on the version of the Bible that you have, it may say, in the fullness of time, anyway, it very clearly brings to us an understanding that God was at work in the heavens, dovetailing history, dovetailing prophecy, and when the time was just right, when God declared, it's the fullness of time, now is the time that I will send forth my indescribable gift. I did a little study on this, the fullness of time, and it it means exactly on schedule, precisely as if it could not be having been sent at a better time. And when all the things worked perfectly together, there was a woman that got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And the baby grew within her womb as any other normal child would. Begin to be formed The father intricately weaving every detail of the bodily form of Jesus in Mary's womb. And in the fullness of time, when the time was right, she gave birth. When you look at this in the light of history, we begin to recognize from our view looking back that this was a precise moment for Jesus to be born because for the first time there was an opportunity for a language to be somewhat common. Since the time of Babel, there had been many different languages and people had been confused, but the world, having been filled with multiple languages, now begins to settle on a language where mostly people could understand or speak Greek. It was a collage of time, and so in history, when Alexander the Great, who formulated the language, became uh, around, he began to use Greek, and so suddenly in history, there was one language that most people could understand, and it was at that perfect time that Jesus was born so that people could understand and declare it precisely at a time when a written message and a spoken language could be understood by the most number of people. Then we look at the history of the infrastructure of the time. Now that you have a language to convey the message, you need roads to travel on to get the message out. You need opportunities for people to begin to travel further than just the location in which they were born. Most people at the time would have lived within just a few miles their whole life, but now roads are developed. And just that moment in history when infrastructure is the right place, in the fullness of time, God says, now it's ready. People can get out. The word can spread. In the fullness of time, as you look in the history of the politics of the time, you had a very unusual circumstance, is that out of the blue, a leader decided that he wanted to call a census. And in this census, since travel was now possible, everybody had to come back home to where they were from to sign a ledger that states that. And in the history of the politics, it all brought together and God in the fullness of time wrapped his son in history to get him born right where he needed him to be. And all of this became little literal signs as to what Jesus was doing. Jay Kessler writes a good book called I Never Promise You Disneyland. In that book, he writes this. Most people, when they think of Christmas, 
think of camels and swaddling clothes and a manger. I think of the Ford Motor Plant. One year I toured the plant. I watched them assemble cars, and it was an eye-opener. I'd always thought that the idea of Ford would be to guess how many cars that they were going to need, and then they would make that many. Now, they decided to make green cars one day. They'd make two or 3,000 of them. Then they'd switch to another color. But, of course, that's not the way they do it at all. All over America, people walk into a Ford dealership, look around, kick a few tires, and then they order a car, a certain model with specific equipment, a specific color, specific roof, roof type, and transmission. The dealer then fills out a computer card and places an order into Ford. Instantly, in one city, they make the correct transmission. In another city, they make a vinyl roof. In another city, they make the mirrors. In another city, they make the transmission. And all these places start feeding their products toward the Ford plant. The Ford plant has a man who puts on the steering wheels when it comes by. The cars come down the line, and when the green cars come, you can bet he doesn't grab a red steering wheel to put on. At exactly the right time, the green steering wheels are there. He reaches out, grabs what's on the line, and he puts it on, and he, and he locks it down. That's what happened with each part. Then the mirror, then the roof and the seat cover. Every part shows up right where he needs it at exactly the right instant. Now, if a man is capable of designing such an ingenious system to bring thousands of events and people together with precision timing just to make a car, well, imagine what God can do when he's preparing to visit earth. The number of things that God brought together at one time and in one place is so incredible, it makes the Ford plant look like a corner gas station. There are some people who still believe that Jesus coming to earth was God's hectic response to a problem that he didn't know for sure how to deal with. Oh, no. People are living in sin. I don't know what to do. I'm caught off guard. Let's just send Jesus. Maybe he can be a last-minute Band-Aid that I can stick on a wounded world. Or I've tried everything else. I don't know what to do. So let's just throw my son out there and see what he can do. But I want you to know today... Scripture indicates to us that that could not be farther from the truth. The Bible says Jesus came in the fullness of time. And when everything was fully prepared for him as possible, all the pieces of history fell together. All the pieces of prophecy fell together. And the magnificent staging of God is staggering to us. So how do you wrap an indescribable gift? You wrap him in prophecy. And you wrap him in history. And lastly, you wrap him in mystery. If you took away the mystery, there's nothing indescribable about this baby. You have a prophetic word that came that I just read a few scriptures from Isaiah. They also come from Micah and Zephaniah and Zechariah and Malachi and John the Baptist and a host of others that are saying, the Messiah's coming. You need to be ready. You need to be watching. God's gift is about to be delivered without compensation. You have history that's unfolding in a political scene where the Roman world comes into power and literally pushes Israel down like a boot into soft soil. And Israel begins to scream out, Oh, send us a Messiah. But the one they wanted is one that would come in bright, shining armor who would come on a white horse and destroy Rome and elevate them into leadership. And that's not God's plan at all. 
God's plan, he sends to us an indescribable gift that is wrapped in mystery. And what's the mystery about this baby? I can think of a couple of things. Number one, first, God became visible in human form. I admit that while I was writing this, I sat back and I thought, you know, I have preached so many Christmas messages throughout 35 years that I can begin to get a little numb to the Christmas story. In fact, I told the staff, I said, I'm having a harder time this year coming up with fresh Christmas stuff than ever before. And finally, the Lord just said, what needs to be fresh about the greatest story on earth? The greatest thing that ever happened had never happened before and it will never happen again. God has his son with him in heaven in spirit form. And he has to pay the price of the sins of the world. So how does the ineffable presence of deity come to this earth and not be contaminated while being fully man? How does this happen? It's the mystery of it all. The Father God, the Son, the Spirit, co-eternal, co-existent, co-equal, come to an indescribable decision, and it's described for us in John 1. And the Word became flesh. That's, That's miracle number one. The Word, God eternal, became flesh. The second is, and He dwelt among us. God became man. Here's the interesting thing. God in the state of his royal eternal being is not capable of death. He's an eternal being. So he had to wrap himself in humanity so that he would be capable of dying, so that he would be capable of dying a sacrificial death because the God nature of him would be that death would be impossible. Seeing us where we are and in our sin... Incarnation is the ultimate final disclosure of an eternal God. It's the self-revelation of an absolute being himself, the pre-existent Son of God, second person of the Trinity, saying, I will become them, and I will live among them. Undiminished deity took upon himself perfect humanity, and the linking of the two natures together in one personality, housed in one unique body, The God-man was delivered, no less deity, no less humanity, in one person, in one body, and to us, that's the greatest mystery, that God would become man. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn, and in these words, he probably says it better than anybody else when it says this, Christ, by highest heavens adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Strangely wrapped in history and in prophecy and in mystery, a tiny gift strangely wrapped, is delivered in perfect timing by the hands of God to affect the lives of every human being that's ever lived or that would ever come. Silently delivered, God had a plan. I'm going to ask our worship team if you would please come. In the middle of announcing this great gift, 
The Lord didn't choose the cities instead. He chose on a very dark night that the curtain of heaven would open up and angels would begin to sing to shepherds. Scared them to death. They were just doing their job. Those of you that know me know that I love to hunt. A few weeks ago, I was out walking in the dark about an hour before the sun came up through passage of woods. And when you're just going with a little beam flashlight, it's amazing what your mind can do. And as I was walking down this trail, I was about a half mile in, and I suddenly heard a really large snap behind me. And in that moment, I stopped for a moment and thought, here are my options. I can run. Nobody's around. Nobody will know. I could scream. Nobody's around. Nobody would know. Or I can be brave and turn around and shine my little dinky beam and see the first Bigfoot in the history of New York. As I'm standing there thinking, do I really want to know what's walking behind me? I turned around and shined the light, and there are these two beaming eyes right at eye level. It was an owl. And I began to think of the startled nature of what it was like for those shepherds. On just a regular night, they were probably hoping about that time that the sheep would just shut up so that they could get some sleep. And then the sky splits with a magnificent light. The angel, the first word that the angel says is exactly what they needed. Don't be afraid, because you know they were afraid. I bring good news of great joy which shall be to all people. Today in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. He's not a grown man, he's a little baby. He's not a knight in shining armor, he's a little baby. He's tucked away in a feeding trough in a manger just over the hill, just a baby. You're going to find him and he's wrapped in cloth. But that's just what you can see because what you can't see is the mystery and the history and the prophecy that he's been wrapped in. Just waiting for you to unwrap him so that he can become your very own. Stand with me as we sing this morning. 